Proverbs 15, verse 8. And I'm going to read to you after that, I'll read to you question 98 from the Shorter Catechism, and then we'll begin our sermon. But listen to Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. This is the word of the Lord. Now, question 98 in the Shorter Catechism, and I was just reminding you, what is prayer? And the answer is, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. God allows us to pray, and as we pray, there are tensions wrapped up in our prayers as we seek to bring our desires uh, to Him, making them agreeable to His will. The tension is there between our desires and God's desires, or His will. Now, in last week we saw that as we pray for these things, God tells us things to pray for, and then we are to pray for them. Now, this does not mean that you and I are not to bring our own wants and desires to Him, because He wants us to bring our wants and our desires to Him. But as we do that, we're going to find that we are, our wants and desires are being conformed to His desires. Now, we tried to illustrate that last time by the little boy with his hands on his daddy's steering wheel. And those strong hands holding on to the steering wheel, that little boy's trying to pull his dad to the, to the right or pull his dad to the left, but those hands are so strong that those hands can't be turned one way or the other. And those little boy's hands have to learn to adapt and to melt into his father's will. But still there's this tension when we pray. Because God is God and we are in this human flesh. And this is even seen in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he was very God of very God. And he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. And he was made man. As Jesus walked among us, he's God in human flesh. And if when he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, if Jesus had not recoiled at dying, we would have every reason, as one of our own theologians says, we'd have every reason to wonder if he was really a man. Because men don't want to die. We would have to wonder that he didn't just want to go walk into it. So he's pleading with the Father to take this cup and let it pass from him. Now, John Calvin writes and says this, Jesus, when it came at this point, turned his eyes, he, did not, he says, he, turned, he uh, did not turn his eyes to the divine plan, but rested his desire that burned within him upon his Father's knees. He rested his desire that's within him upon his Father's knees, so we, in pouring out our prayers, do not always rise to speculate upon the secret things of God. In Christ, there exists a remarkable balance between the wills of God and man. They differ from each other without conflict and without contradiction. Now, if I understand Calvin rightly here, it means that this human will and divine will at every point in our Savior, that His will and the divine will were always one with the Father's will. Calvin calls this tension that existed between the human and divine wills a kind of indirect disagreement. Now, 
there's the, the indirect disagreement has to be because it's part of human nature not to die. But when it comes to, let's just say, the few people that we know of, we've got the three Hebrew boys, we've got um, Peter who does not want to go to a cross and hang upside down, we have several illustrations in the Bible where these men don't want to die. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to God's will, they will submit to it. And Jesus is there holding up his desire, take this cup away from me, but let, I will let your will be done. There's no, there's no, there's a, if there's a disagreement, it's indirect at best. Calvin says at every point, Jesus says, I will lay my life down. I will do my Father's will. And so when we pray, let's say we pray for our church. We pray for our church to grow. <laughs> and we say things like, I want peace, I want unity in the church. And Jesus gives us just the opposite of what we think we want. He grows his church through persecution. And so we pray that God will increase our numbers and people leave. <laughs> and oh man, we don't like that part. And then when they leave, after they leave, we go through this time of becoming more dependent on the Lord. We go through this time of being more at peace with one another. And through difficult times, we learn to walk with each other, smaller group. And then, all of a sudden, with this peace and more dependence, the Lord adds families to us. At times, we pray for God to remove thorns that are in our flesh. We want that to be removed. That doesn't feel good. And he says, no, I'm going to leave it there. But I'm going to give you the grace you need to go through these times with it. I'm going to give you sufficient grace for this weakness. So there's this tension when we pray. And God is answering our prayers, but we feel tension when we pray. And God has told us to continue to pray and that He will answer us. The tension is sometimes He answers from the opposite direction. Sometimes He says no, sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no, not now. Sometimes He says no, not ever. Sometimes He says, I'm going to give you just enough grace for the moment at hand. But here we are, and I want to uh, phrase, give every one of my points to you tonight using those words from Calvin. To learn to rest the desires within us upon our Father's knees. When we bring our prayers to God, think about that picture. I'm coming into this sanctuary. I'm lifting up my eyes to the Lord. I'm lifting up my soul to the Lord. I'm lifting up my thoughts to the Lord. And I'm placing my desires upon my Father's knees. As you and I learn to rest our desires upon our Father's knees, you may experience the tension of an unanswered prayer. Well, why would God not answer our prayers? Because He simply wants to hear you ask. He wants to hear you pray. The prayers of the upright are His delight. He delights in hearing our prayers. Let us say that we're all going out to eat and we're sitting there and there's a band there or there's the, the guy playing the guitar or whatever it is the guy's doing. And we're eating and while we're eating, before we eat, we hear the music. As we eat, we hear the music. After we eat, we hear the music. We even talk to the guys and tell them we want them to play certain songs. And when it's all over, we give them hearty approval and we give them a tip for what they have done. And that's the same thing that's happening in prayer. Many times God waits 
And He allows us to tune our voices and to tune our hearts with one another so that then, after we've done this prayer together, then He will answer us in our prayers. I want you to think about the first violinist. I'm not much for, I, I love to listen, but I don't know everything, but Ben could probably help us out here. But the first violinist stands or sits down and makes his few notes, and the whole orchestra does what? They tune their instruments to his instrument. And that's what we do when we pray. We're tuning our hearts to the Word of God. We're tuning our hearts to the will of God. We began uh, years ago, uh, 1994, Justly was born. And then after about three or four years, we started thinking, uh, we better start praying we're not having another baby. And we didn't have a baby for 10 years. And so we began to pray. And we began to pray. She prayed more at first than me. And then I began to pray along with her. And then we started telling Tyler Presbyterian Church, hey, guys, we are still not having a baby. (laughs) And then the whole church started praying for us to have a baby. And then one night, Frank Dolan stood up and cried out to God, give these people a baby. And when he did it, we were already there. We found out a few days later we're already going to have a baby. Just a few weeks ago, the women at Tyler, a woman at Tyler Presbyterian Church went up to my found, you know, she met my mother. And she said, your name Martha Wheaton? She said, yes. Your son's Mark? She said, yes. I was part of the church that prayed Evan from heaven to this earth. He waited until we were tuned in to pray, to answer. Second, As you learn to rest your desires upon your father's knees, you may experience the tension of God teaching you to plead. Do we even talk that way today? You ever heard anybody plead? You really want it? (laughs) Do you really want something? We don't even talk like this today. So in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 15, there's a Canaanite woman. Jesus goes into this house and tries to escape being noticed because I'm sure he's just totally exhausted. So he's going into this house. He's kind of trying to escape. And, Mark, and Matthew 15 says this woman, this Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus. She's not going to leave him alone. And she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And Jesus says to her, not a word. He acts like he doesn't hear. He acts like he's deaf. The first thing I want to say is, what's wrong with you, Jesus? And so after all of that's done, he, the disciples, listen, it gets worse than that. The disciples go, listen, we got to send this woman away. She just keeps crying out to us. Well, she just keeps on crying out. Jesus is acting like he's not listening, and the disciples want to get rid of her, and she just keeps right on roaring with this prayer. He's the only one who can take care of this problem. And so they're saying, send her away, and she continues, and then Jesus says this, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. I wasn't even sent to help you. (laughs) I mean, man, listen, today, wouldn't that play good on news? Wow, this is not politically correct. And how many other things would we say about this? I wasn't sent to help you. And she just keeps on going. She doesn't pack her bags and leave. She keeps pleading to him. And then she falls down in verse 25 and says this, The woman came and fell down before him and said, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me. And then Jesus says, It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Now, Oh my, Jesus calls her a little dog. 
it's getting worse. This, this would not play well in, a, in the wrong church, would it? <laughs> and so she goes right along with him, and she says she is a dog. Verse 27, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from your children's table. What's Jesus doing? He's drawing her out. Do you really want this? Do you really need this daughter to be who's severely demon-possessed to have this demon cast? Do you really want what you're asking for? And then when it's all said and done, Jesus looks at her and says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. At times, Jesus will wait, and Jesus will act like he's mute and won't speak to us, won't hear us. What's he doing? Well, he's wanting to draw us out. Have you ever remember those stories where those blind guys come up to Jesus and say, Jesus looks at them and they're blind, and Jesus goes, what do you want? Well, isn't it obvious? <laughs> Why does he ask them the question? Because he wants to see if they'll ask him, they'll tell him. He's drawing them out. We're, we want our sight. <laughs> And that's what he's doing here. He's drawing this woman out. He's drawing us out. We'll, we will ask and he will not answer. He answers not a word. Do you quit? How bad do you want it? How bad do we want it? How bad do we want this church to grow? Are you willing to pray? Get up in the morning and when you're on the way out the door, throw some pl- pr- uh, flare prayers up to the Lord and say, Lord, add some people to us. This is something that only you can do. Use us, use us, yes, use us, but only you can do it. Woman, your faith is great. How do we know her faith was great? How was her faith measured? We've studied this on Saturday. How is, uh, John Calvin says, the measure of our faith is prayer. There's a thought. The chief exercise of your faith, he says, is prayer. Are we praying? God's at work. And you know, one of the things was we think about prayer. It's not just asking for things. It's not just asking for the daughter to be healed. It's not just asking for the eyes to be given, you know, the sight back. It's not just asking for whatever it is we ask for. It's the fact that God takes us in endearing our prayers and changes us. This is uh, for another sermon, but you know... um, I was having a hard time listening to somebody preach one time. And so I took question 90 out and I studied question 90 in the Shorter Catechism. And I changed. And I changed so that I can hear better. And then I prayed for the preacher to preach better. But one of the things I noticed is that I changed. And I was able to listen better. So many things we can learn as we pray. Third, as you learn to rest your desire upon your father's knees, you may wait because waiting makes you prize the answer so much more when it comes. What do you think that Syrophoenician woman did after her daughter was healed? Think she went out jumping and rejoicing and praising God? Consider Hannah. She had longed for a child. For years she had prayed and then finally God gave her a son. And she gave that son back to the Lord to be in service to the Lord. And the Bible tells us when she brought him back that she was due to offer God one bull, but she gave him three. Three? 
She gave him three times, God, three times the amount of flour and three times the amount of wine that he was due. Why? Because she's full of gratitude. My daughter, uh, my daughter's husband's name is Sean. And years ago, what, 20, 2015? Maybe it was 20, 2014. So he comes, he flies out to California to meet me. He tells me he wants to date justly. And I tell, tell him that's okay, and I'm going to write him a letter. I wrote him a letter. It had four points. First point said this, you have to get a career. You have to get a career. I said, I'm not picking on you. This is what I'd say to any guy. You have to get a career. He's like 20. I said, you have to get a career. It's, total, it's totally fine. We got it. And so, so uh, he goes straight home. And I mean, I'm watching, see what's going on. Two weeks later, he's in EMT school. And after that class, he finishes that. He goes into fireman academy school. He graduates from there, and then he starts looking for a job as a fireman. He goes through all these different um, interviews, and there's three parts of every interview. There's one, numbers two, and then there's this last one, and, and I don't have them all figured out, but I just know that last one was giving him all kinds of problems. So this goes on for like six months, and finally they bring it to my attention, and I said, well, there's probably a book that you have to read now, and you have to know how to answer the questions for that last part of this interview process. And lo and behold, they went to the bookstore, and there's a, there's a book there you have to read to be able to know how to answer those questions. And so they got on Skype, because one's in California, and one's in Tyler, Texas, and they talk back and forth, and they go over the book, and he goes back to the first place that rejected him, and he's hired to be a fireman, and he's just jumping for joy. We prayed for him, and God answers our prayers, and he is full of appreciation. A week later, he tells me that another young man came, interviewed, got hired on the spot, and he was just sort of like this. Oh, huh. He didn't have to pray for it. He didn't have to wait for it. He didn't have to cry out to God for it. And here's Sean going, I just remember him being so ho-hum. And I was so appreciative. Three bulls, not one. You know, full of gratitude. Why do we wait sometimes? Well, God wants to bring us to a point of seeing Him answer our prayers. Well, fourth, as you learn to rest at your desire upon your Father's knees, you may experience tension because God is training your faith. He's going to teach you that you may feel like this is not for profit. He's going to show you that it is for profit. He's going to give you what you need for the moment. Haven't, haven't you felt that way? Your faith will give you eyes to see that you have obtained from God what was needed for the moment. In the case of Hannah, she endured much at the hands of her co-wife, <laughs> Peninnah. Y'all don't go do that. Don't go do that. Don't go have a co- Don't go have two wives, men. Don't do that. So here's Elkanah. He's got two wives. We've talked about this before. More than likely, uh, Hannah's not having children, so he gets married to another woman, and she pops a bunch of them out. And so this one has a bunch of babies. This one has all the love, and Peninnah just irritates the fire out of Hannah for not having a child. And so she weeps her way all the way to church, and then she cry, she's crying, and Eli says to her at the very end of the service she's in, he says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant to you what you have asked of him. And when she heard the benediction, she changed. She got up, she ate, she worshipped, 
And she went home wondering, what is God up to? What's, what are you up to? God gave her what she needed for the, for the moment. She was so down. The Bible says that her face began to have a totally different appearance. It was no longer fallen, but now she had a different countenance. When it comes to the three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. They're not. He tells them with his face fallen and angry, he tells them, you will bow down upon the pain of death. And they say no. And God gave them what they needed for the moment. He didn't know. They did not know if he was going to save them into his presence. They did not know if he was going to save them from it or save them in it. And he came to them while they were in it. He loosed them and they were walking around. But they got what they needed. And in the case of Jesus in Psalm 22... Go read that psalm. What a powerful psalm. All the waves of suffering rolling over Jesus as the, he feels abandoned by his father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's silence and the people are scorning him and he's suffering. His body is hurting. And while he's in the midst of all of the darkness, verse 21 of Psalm 22 says this, You have answered me. What? <laughs> you have answered me. Father answered him. So before Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus said, you have answered me. What does he mean? Everything that he sees around him is nothing but gore and pain and hurt and people wagging their heads. But before he said, it is finished, he understood. And you can go read Psalm 21, 22. He understood. He saw his resurrection from the dead. He saw himself proclaiming the gospel to his disciples. He saw his disciples preaching the gospel to the ends of the world. He saw that his labor in prayer was not in vain. And that's the same thing that God teaches us. When you and I labor long in our prayers, God will give us spiritual eyes to see that what we are doing is not in vain. He will show us that there's abundance in the midst of our poverty. He will show us his comfort in the midst of our affliction. And we need to remember this when we don't feel like we're seeing anything. God will not, let me say it loud to you guys, make sure you put it in your mind. God will not, God cannot ever fail you. Ever. He cannot, He will not ever forsake you. Now, this is what Calvin writes. God alone will be for you in the place of all things. That's worth remembering. <laughs> if there was scripture needed to be added to the Bible, that would be a good word to put in there. God will be for you in all things, in the place of all things. Think about the things you want and think about not getting them and think about that. God will be for you in the place of all things. He says this, Since all good things are contained in God, and He will reveal them to us on the day of judgment, where His kingdom will be plainly manifested. God most certainly hears our prayers, and He certainly cares for us. And when we're tempted to think, no profit when we pray, remember God will be for you in the place of all things. 
He was for the three Hebrew children in the place of all things. He was for Jesus in the place of all things. He's for the woman, for Hannah, in the place of all things. He's for you in the place of all things. Well, fifth, and let's end with this. This is fabulous. I have, if I, this is fabulous illustration. This is a fabulous story I'm going to tell you. <laughs> you may experience tension, of, tension in prayer as God does not answer your prayers in the manner you expect. Maybe you offered your prayers to Him in a certain form and He doesn't answer you according to the words you prayed. But He's answering you. <laughs> okay, He's answering you. Calvin writes, God may hold you in suspense... Yet God, in a marvelous manner, shows you your prayers have not been in vain. This is what Calvin says about 1 John 5.15. 1 John 5.15 says, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. This is what Calvin says. This is especially useful for us. <laughs> because God, even when, we, when He does not answer... Even when He does not comply with our wishes with the exact form of our request, yet He tells us here that God is still attentive. He's still kindly toward our prayers. You and I may have hope as we rely upon His Word that He will never disappoint us. He will never disappoint us. Are you, do you understand that? God, He's holding us in suspense sometimes. Listen to this. He will make you pray long sometimes. Calvin says this. This is, this is some of the best stuff I've ever read in my life. For the Lord proves you, His people, by no light trials and does not softly exercise you. But God often drives you to extremity. And He allows you so driven by these extremities to lie long in them. To lie long in the mire to lie long in the pain, to lie long in the trouble before He gives you any taste of His sweetness. <laughs> Have you been through that? <laughs> Think about Hannah. What was the form of her words? Listen to the form of her words. Oh Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon my ser your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, give me a son and I will give him back to you and not a razor shall ever come upon his head. That's the form of her words. And don't think God hadn't proven her. Think about those words we just read from Calvin. With no light trial. God had not softly exercised her. God had driven her to extremity. God had allowed her to lie long in the misery of the barrenness, to lie long in the misery of the afflicted, the infliction of pain by her co-wife, Peninnah. But he then showed her sweetness. Here's the prayer. Give me one child, I'll give him back to you, and that will satisfy me forever. And he did. He gave her a son. But do you remember? Now remember the form of the prayer. One son, that satisfies me forever. One son. And God gave her six children. He didn't answer her according to the form of her prayer. He was better than that. He gave her three boys and two girls. 
Is that not what God does with us? Does He not answer us better than we ask sometimes? Doesn't He take us through trials? Doesn't He exercise us sorely? Doesn't He drive us into extremity? She literally says, The Lord kills and makes alive. Have you not felt at times? And maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you're young. But I promise you it's coming. You may feel like God is literally killing you. You may feel like you don't know how much more you can take. And then He makes it alive. Then He brings it to life. He raises you up. He gives you beyond what you could ever imagine. God meant it for good. God's at work in all these things. Not one child, but six. She got the number wrong. You and I must know, you and I must believe that God has regard for all of our prayers. And He has a, there's a prophet in all of our prayers. You must stay revived by the Word of God that tells you that He has regard for everything we say in whatever misery we might be in. Well, let me end the sermon with Psalm 66, 8 through 12. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. Did you hit that? Did you get that? <laughs> We're about to slip. We're being tested. We're being refined by, like, like silver in a fire. You put us in a prison. You laid burdens on. Do you hear these words? Extremity, extremity, extremity. You let men ride over our heads with chariot wheels. We went through the fire and the water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. That's wonderful. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for teaching us to pray. We pray that we might remember the lessons we've learned tonight about the tensions at times when we wait only to find out that there's profit, only to find out that you've changed us as much as you've taught us to pray for things. You've changed our hearts and made us more like you and your desires. Lord, you're teaching us to plead. You're teaching us to see that you do far beyond what we could ever dream or expect as we bring our request to you. And Father, we, we bring our hearts to you first and we pray that you will make them more like Jesus. We sing that song sometimes. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. In my heart, Lord. I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, teach us to be like Jesus in our heart. And Lord, we'll praise you for it. Help us to go away from this place, Lord, ready to serve you this week. Keep us safe. Help us to think about you during the week. Do your will during the week. Pray our hearts out to you and pour them out to you during the week. Bring us back together. Lord, answer our prayers. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.